0: Hello and welcome to the Rules of Investing. I'm your host, David Thornton. On today's episode, I sit down with Matt Williams, a portfolio manager at Early Funds Management. Matt cut his teeth in 1993 when he joined Perpetual Investments as an equities dealer. That was followed by 17 years at Perpetual, working alongside heavy hitters including Anton Tagliaferro, Peter Morgan and John Seviour. There, he held the role of Head of Equities from 2011 to 2015. He then joined Airlie in 2016 with a remit that includes Australian Share Strategies for Institutional Clients and the Airlie Australia Share Fund for Retail Clients. This year, Matt was recognised as one of the best in the business and inducted into the Hall of Fame, joining a small and distinguished list of Australia's best fundies. Today, we discuss why the Aussie market has fared so much better than its global peers, where Aussie valuations are at, and where the opportunities lie. We also hear about the one Aussie company Matt reckons is born to be in Warren Buffett's portfolio. If you're an Apple Podcast or Spotify user, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Or, if you're a LiveWire subscriber, hit the follow button at the bottom of the wire to get notified whenever we post new content. Not a LiveWire subscriber yet? Head over to liveawaymarkets.com. It's free to sign up and you'll get access to the leading investment minds from Australia and abroad. Matt, thanks for joining us on The Rules of Investing. It's great to have you on. Thanks, Dave. Uh, long-time listener, first-time guest. <laughs> <laughs> First radio. You've worked with some big names in the industry, namely Perpetual with Anton Tagliferro, Peter Morgan, and alias John Sevier, um, who, of course, went on to found Early, where you are now. Can you give us something you've learned from them and applied to the way you manage money? Yeah,
1: look, uh, you know, legend, legend investors and legend blokes, all of them, uh, you know, really good mentors of mine over, over the years. Um, look, I've learned a little bit off, off every, off all of them, I guess. But the thing about being in the industry is you can't sort of stop learning. I think that's the most important thing. And you, you can't as you get older, um, uh, close yourself off to new things and new ideas. And so I've learned just as much from my current, um, co-portfolio manager on the early Australian share fund, um, Emma Fisher, who's 30, early 30s. Um, and she, I've learned as much off her as I have off, you know, those, those gentlemen. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just feel it's really important to keep fresh, um, not get stuck in, you know, your own heuristics. I think you get can get stuck in your own rules and dismiss things when you probably shouldn't.
0: So it's something this year, you know, as markets have, have been so volatile that you've learned from Emma or from another colleague that you've been able to apply to your investing.
1: I think it's important to uh, keep applying and keep um, uh, sticking to the process. Uh, your investment process and as dull as that sort of sounds, it's really important, um, to, to, to keep to that process. And, you know, talking about those guys from Perpetual and all Hall of Famers, uh, not to brag, I joined them in and the Hall of Fame now. this year. Congratulations. Um, yeah, so of thank course. you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, one thing, and again, it's a boring word and, you know, not a popular word, but it's discipline. Um, especially when it's noisy. Exactly. Yeah. And discipline to stick to your process um and because a lot of the time it's not what you do own in the por- in your portfolio it's what you avoid and being disciplined it helps you hopefully avoid those losers that can be you know big market fads and big big popular trends but if they don't sort of fit your process it gets you through it can be it can be hurtful but it gets you through the thick and thin you don't want to be sucked into fomo That's right, and I guess the big one of the last few years would have been buy now, pay later, where we really struggled to put those companies uh, in our process. Um, And it comes down to that process where, and discipline where just avoiding loss-making companies over the long or medium and longer term gets you ahead of the game. It will get you outperforming. over the medium term, it can hurt in the short term, as we saw with those buy now pay later. You know, went stratospheric, right? Um, and that really hurt. But if we couldn't fit it in the process, we so we stayed disciplined to the process. Uh, and now we, I guess, we're sort of reaping the benefit as they've really um, crashed and come back to earth.
0: Let's move on to the Aussie market. So volatile here and all over the world. But it's all washed out to about 5% down this year, which in the context of things doesn't seem all that bad. What can we put this down to? Clearly,
1: you know, it's having uh, a resources-led market. And you're right, you know, we're down around 5%, let's say, on the on, just on the price uh, index. Uh, but within that, obviously, making up resource, if we wanted to split the market between resources and industrials, resources are up 16% industrials are down nine percent uh, over that period the old two-speed economy that's it so you know it's we've benefited from the um, from from the resources uh, and obviously you know unlike the US which is down over double digit um, where tech has come back to earth I guess tech um, as we as we obviously know um, is not a
0: massive part of our our index probably unfortunately really um, yeah that is a good springboard to my next question. As you say, where heavy resources, light tech, and the states is very heavy tech. How do those dynamics play into the business cycle, and how Australia performs through the business cycle?
1: Yeah, I think you've hit the 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 right word. You've hit that nail on the head in the in the sense of cycle. Australia traditionally has been such a, a very boom bust cyclical economy, and uh, it's been a miracle we've had thirty years of you know, apart from a couple of blips, GFC and COVID, we've really avoided a, a massive downturn, which is really um, – I pe- first came into the market when there was a recession on and it was, it was tough. You know, the jobs were really hard to, to come by. Um, so, yeah, so basically I guess the thing about Australia is that it's been a cycle and resources have been – have had cycles within that, that period – um to be fair and so that's probably affected our market a little bit more than you know the economy's probably sailed through but our market has had some real uh you know down periods because of resources have had some real tough times you know i think back to oh, i don't know 2015 when we had the really big resource downturn um you know some of the companies that we you know that um that we own you know think about bhp it got to $17 i think now 50 now 40 odd, um 50 if you include the woodside uh demerger um, the energy demerger um and mineral resources got to three dollars now eighty uh eight dollars so you know there's some there's been some real um uh cycles in that in that resource space
0: matt what are some of the things your holdings share in common um what piques your interest in a company or what does the company have to have to make it into your portfolio i guess the first thing um, and this is a real gate, uh,
1: entry into our, into our even considering a company is that it has to have a real solid balance sheet. Ha- financial strength is really important to us. And, and hence in the early Australian share fund, you know, at least a third of the companies would be net cash, uh, on their balance sheet. So that's really sort of important to us. And why is it important? It's because, you know, when, we find it very hard to know what's going to happen in the economy, um, what surprises are going to occur. And we've seen plenty of surprises as, as we know over the last decade plus. But companies with really good balance sheets can withstand sort of generally whatever gets thrown at them. It's, uh, uh, so that's the key. That's the key to us. The other sort of key. And again, another third of our, uh, companies have owner-managed sort of situations. And this is where the founder of a business, and I'm thinking, you know, companies like a Nick Scarley, where Anthony Scali is the, has been the CEO since it IPO'd in 2003. Uh, and why do we like owner-managers? Um, it's because they make good medium and long-term decisions without the pressures of short-term sort of worries. Um, so you're not a fan of Boral? We haven't owned We didn't own Boral um, for uh, for for many years, and it's a good example of you know a sort of a corporate company where CEOs come and go. They they stay for five years. Um, They try and work a bit of quick magic, you know, big acquisition like in the last case, Uh, and then suddenly that doesn't work and. The new CEO comes in and there's a big write off and away we go again. Uh, but funnily enough, we now are, are large indirect holders of Boral through our holding in Seven Group who, you know, smartly sort of used this sort of problem in Boral and, uh, you know, managed to buy most of the company, um, uh, you know, in a pretty clever way in a pretty, pretty clever way. You could, maybe their timing wasn't so good. I mean, now we're, we're, we're facing a bit of a housing downturn. Uh, things are a bit tougher there, but, um, you know, I think they'll be better managers of this asset because, again, the seven group, Stokes family, are uh, owner managers, and they will take, I think, more sensible, medium and longer-term decisions for
0: Boral. You mentioned before how you like companies that, have healthy balance sheets, have a lot of cash, um, are, are very liquid. Um, what's your view on companies that have um, a need in, in the context of the economy we're in that have a need for a lot of cash? So on on the other side, you know, a real cash burners, whether or not they have the cash reserves to um, to facilitate it.
1: Yeah, I guess so. One thing about the US. Uh, you know, if you like a little bit of a tech wreck, you know, we've had uh, – I talked about owning profitable companies only. And again, if you own non-profitable tech, you know, in the last few years, uh, up until, say, a year ago, you've you've brained it. You've done really well. However, the last 12, 18 months has just been a shocker. And, you know, that tech index, the non-profitable tech index is down, uh, you know, massively. 80-odd percent, I'd suggest. So so if you are relying, it's the old Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett, I forget which one of them said it, but it's a good quote. If you're relying on the kindness of strangers, i.e. the equity market to fund your business constantly, then you're in a lot of, you know, you can be in a lot of trouble and and that's where a lot of companies uh, have found themselves. And so here in Australia, you've seen a lot of the more glamour, tech, names and some of the buy now pay laters who again needed the equity market to fund their business uh have to come to market to to raise capital at much much lower quite highly dilutionary kind of prices and i'm thinking you know even uh recently you know zip money raising raising cash uh life 360 raising cash at a at a 50 percent discount to where they last raised cash um so companies you know again not yet really profitable but Mm -hmm. needing the equity market to to uh to fund their ongoing business
0: do you think there's going to be much investor interest in those companies that aren't profitable for years and years and years they're out for
1: now but like everything you know we talked about cycles Uh, this cycle will come back as sure as day um i've seen it many times where um sentiment changes and uh views change and suddenly it's uh exuberance reasserts itself um and that'll surely happen again
0: you're a bottom-up investor but you do have a macro overlay of sorts can you take us through that
1: i guess it's not so much a macro overlay because we don't try and pick the the direction of the economy um so if you look at what you know what's the consensus view right now on on 2023. It's basically obviously inflation up, interest rates are up, uh, energy costs higher um, uh, and fixed rate mortgages coming to an end. So it all looks a bit dire for the for the consumer and that's the consensus view and we've got no special insight into that. I guess we then look at, well, what's, what's the market maybe ignoring a little bit, something a bit more positive and that's Uh in aggregate, household balance sheets are pretty good. uh, Consumers saved a lot during COVID. So they're coming from a good base in terms of deposits. Uh you've got quite a few you've got
0: quite a few consumer names on the books. Yeah. Do you not? Yeah. Um
1: and I guess the other positive thing is the employment market, though, is is strong. It's a funny kind of downturn we're heading into when people are Companies, businesses are just uh, calling out for, for staff. So they're the positive things. But again, we don't have any special insight. So I guess what we do is then do sensitivity analysis on our companies, uh, to see if they can withstand the worst, uh, that's going on at them. And if they're actually mispriced, if we think maybe it's a little bit, it's a little bit better than what the market is, is considering. And so again, I get lead all the way back to companies with, you know, net cash or very low levels
0: of debt, because they're the best ones to to withstand. With those stress tests, do you invest on a, a worst outcome basis, or do you just weigh the balance of probabilities and, and make a judgment call uh, case by case? A little bit,
1: little bit of both. We sort of weigh the the worst case, but I think if you keep weighing the worst case, you um, you can sometimes do yourself out of good opportunities. Yeah. So we, it's it really comes down to a bit of a bit of judgment call. But again, solid balance sheets, we'll see you through.
0: All right, so what companies are currently on the books? What, what's in the top 10 and what do you like about them? Uh, yeah, I guess uh, going back to you mentioned we had a few
1: um, retail names. And a few months ago, uh, we were out probably nearly the middle of the year or just after the reporting season. Um, we were out saying some of these retail names had been thrown out because of, you know, you know, pessimism about 2023 and the consumer. And so premier investments below $20, Nick Scali at $7. We we're saying these are a bit too cheap. Uh and they've rallied um nicely. Did you scoop since up that a bit, point?
0: Did you scoop up a bit more? We were
1: holders and so we when we added to those positions. But to be fair, we've now seen, you know, uh, Nick Scali back at eleven, Premier at 25 we're not so enamoured and in fact uh we've reduced our position in nicks garley yeah, we've seen a substantial come out for us in that reducing so um that's where we sit in in terms of that there was a it was a good bounce we had a good strong quarter obviously when when pessimism was really high in june um you know we just felt things were a bit overdone there um so in terms of uh other things we sort of like then on the so i think You know, we're going to see a tougher period for those companies. We've made a big – we've had a big big mistake in James Hardy. We were much more positive on that stock. We thought the U.S. housing market would follow a much orderly cycle this time. Um, We felt the market was fighting the last war, and that last war was the GFC, which was the worst housing market in the U.S. in forever. Yeah. Yeah. So, we felt it was going to be a much orderly cycle, and usually they are quite orderly um, cycles, but I guess we've been caught off guard a little bit there James Hardy's last quarterly result um, showed maybe a bit deeper than what we'd we'd thought, but still a very quality uh, business. But I think the recovery is going to take a bit longer for us uh, to eventuate there. So, we've made a bit of an error. Um, buying as heavy as we probably have in the, in, the, in the medium term for that one.
0: Do they have the cash to see it through?
1: Well, again, this is the good thing, right? The, the, their balance sheet is just absolute rock solid. Um, you know, they'll be fine um, no matter how bad it gets. They could withstand a GFC type downturn easily, but we don't think it's going to be anything like that.
0: So you alluded uh, before to the fact that there aren't a lot of bargains in the market at the moment. Are there any corners of the market where you're seeing a bit of value? I think that um, uh, though the, the you know the early Australian share fund is not a small
1: cap fund, but it does have the ability to go up and down the market cap spectrum. Probably in the in the small end of the uh, of the market, it's been really harshly dealt with, and so we're sifting through. Uh, a few opportunities there, but I think, I think time is a little bit on our side. Again, you know, next year is again very uncertain. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're very keen, I guess we're, we're glad that we've had our sort of defensive holdings, um, in there as well. Woolworths, you know, dull, but, but a very good, you know, defensive, uh, anchor in the portfolio, if you like, uh, eBoss. Which is a pharmaceutical distribution business and uh, medical product distribution business. Also has uh, pet uh, pet treat business. You know we think that's very defensible uh, kind of business. But th- these things aren't cheap. That's the th- that's the issue.
0: Yeah, you were saying off air that a lot of the defensives have been priced out. Really, that's that's all right. Um, um, electrification is a is a massive mega trend at the moment with EVs. Um, everyone wants a piece of it. Do you hold any lithium companies? Luckily for us, um,
1: uh, is that our portfolio manager in, you know, in the early Australian share fund, Emma Fisher, um, very early identified mineral resources, uh, you know, a number of years ago now as a, as a real winner. In the in the electrification uh situation in fact you know to be fair you know she first ad- you know, it was mainly the the mining services business that we uh we liked and the lithium was you know an interesting part of the story but now lithium has come to dominate that business and um uh you know the fundamentals look look very strong uh for for lithium and we've seen the result of that in the you know, in the in the share price performances of stocks like mineral resources and others in the in the lithium space.
0: With a resources uh stock like mineral resources, how do you balance um, you know, the company with the commodity price that they that they lever off? You know, how much emphasis do you put on, you know, commodity price projections, even if you can? And how much is placed on, you know, the company and how it's run and how it manages its balance sheet.
1: Yeah, so mineral resources is you know a, 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 is one of our owner managed businesses. So we've you know the the Chris Ellison the CEO and founder has one of the greatest track records of capital management um, and uh, you know basically buying low and selling high than anyone in the in the market that I've I've seen. Uh, some of his deals are like history you know history making you know picking up an asset you know the basically Wajina, for instance a lithium what their biggest uh lithium uh, mine he bought for less than a hundred million dollars and sold half of it for you know over well over one billion dollars um has he got a background in private equity well <laughs> he's anybody he, he, that's not the first time he's done similar so he's 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 a fantastic um uh deal doer uh, and he's, you know, showed that time and time again. And now he's, he looks like he's doing it again in gas um, in the Perth Basin um, where it looks like they've struck a, you know, a massive um, gas deposit. So that's the key thing about that company, you know, and again
0: goes to that owner-managed sort of thing that we like. So the market's expensive, not many bargains to be had, but what kind of companies or corners of the market are um, would you love to buy if only they were a bit cheaper? Well, I think
1: when when markets fall a lot, what you should always be looking at is to upgrade the quality of your portfolio. You, you want to own things that you've always wanted to own, but you, you just don't feel that the price, you know, there's there's much it left for you if you were to buy it. There's not much upside. Um, but you can get, I've gotten that wrong many times, um, you know, on the way up. But so we're always looking for companies that are really high quality um, to add. And, you know, one of the top three businesses in Australia is realestate.com, REA. But just always feels a little bit out of reach, a little bit too expensive. So that would be number one on my hit list. We've owned ASX in the past and it's generating – and we've sold out at high, you know, where where we felt it was too expensive. Um, And it's now in the headlines. It's got a bit of – management turmoil there's a bit of regulatory uh issues with it but we'd be looking for an opportunity to to buy that at the at the right price
0: it's interesting that kind of thing piques your interest almost those those things that certainly aren't going to tank a company um but definitely put downward pressure on the price and possibly make it a buying opportunity yep that's
1: right it's when you can buy those good companies when there's a blip for some reason or other, um, be it a regulatory issue like the the ASX or a management um, situation, um, it, they can provide good opportunities. I guess that the difficulty is working out whether this is a permanent impairment to value or just something that um, will be a blip and providing a, a good opportunity, and that's the hard part, um, I guess. Um, so that's yeah, that's where the work has to be has to be done. So we put in the work. Yeah,
0: we always finish with three favorite questions that I always pose to our fundies. Question one: What's the one thing uh, investors in general are getting wrong about today's market?
1: Well, Dave, I don't think I'm as I'm arrogant enough to think that uh, you know uh, investors are getting things r- a lot wrong. Um, I get things. I get things very wrong. But I guess when I look into 2023 though, um, and you just read so much negativity and, you know, so many Armageddonists out there, housing, consumer, uh, I have a feeling and I've, and, and the points I made before around, you know, household deposits, savings and just the strong employment market that we've got. Uh, my view is that we, it won't be as bad as, as uh you know those doomsdayers are sort of saying
0: Prophets of doom are overdoing profits of doom that's it <laughs> yeah question two <laughs> could you share a story of a big win or loss you've had in the past um what was it and what did you learn from it um well, i've had plenty of
1: losses i don't need to i don't, don't, want, to, don't want to talk too many about that um the, the, the ones that get away is also a, you know, is a, always yeah. a thing where you yep. sell too early. Yep. Um, yep. Plenty, yep. plenty of examples of those. But I think, I, I think the best one though is, is, you know, and again, it's boring. It's a boring word and people hate it and they, their eyes roll over when I, you know, roll, roll when I mention it is patience. When I think about some of the big winners we've had uh, in the portfolios that I've run over the years, you know, I think something like a Reese, um you know it's today it's $15 you know f- i don't know 20 years ago it was less than 50 cents um and nick scarly i mentioned ipo 2003 at a dollar today $11 and you've probably had 4 or 5 dollars in dividends over that time as well on top of that mineral resources ipo at a dollar today it's um uh $88 rea that i mentioned i'd love to own uh back in the tech wreck way back in 2000 you could have owned that you could have bought nearly every share of that company for below a dollar and you know today 120 odd dollars so it's, it's about if you can identify a small company um that's got something a little bit special about it uh and again, a lot of these are owner-managed businesses, right? So you know you you know that the the management aren't going to be gone in three or four years; they're going to be there for a long time. If you can find that, and the the hard part
0: is hanging on to it, right? Because uh, so you've you've bought some of those names you mentioned before, and you've got in, you've left, yeah, and got back in, yeah. Cause but cause lu- like- yeah,
1: luckily most of them we've held, you know, predominantly through you know all that all that period in the portfolios that I've run and, you know, Nick Scali, Reese, and others have been just mainstays and, and still there today. Uh, so that's that's the thing, if you can find a small company, owner managed, good business, and just hang on, uh, you know, the, all the old cliches about the market being a compounding machine and, and all that, they're true. It really does work, but
0: it's, it's having the discipline and the patience um, to do it. Question three, and we don't recommend at all that people do this, but if markets were to close tomorrow for five years and you could only own shares in one company, uh, which company would that be and why?
1: I mentioned that I've, we've got James Hardy wrong. Um, uh, notice I swapped it from me to we uh, when I said that. Um, <laughs> so we've got James Hardy wrong. Um, I think that is such a good business. Um, you know, it's it's one of the very few building materials companies that, uh, if any, earn margins in the 20s and have return on invested capital, uh, you know, in the 30s. Um, it, yep, it's facing a real tough cycle at the moment. Um, I think if it didn't have an asbestos uh, liability, which is well covered, mind you, um, if they didn't have that, the company would be... Taken over for sure by now. Um, I think it's a perfect Warren Buffett company. Um, I would not be surprised if Berkshire uh, bought this company one day. Um, but I, it dominates its market in the housing in the housing siding market in the US, uh, and that market itself uh, they, they're penetrating. You know, vertically across or horizontally, I should say, across the siding market so they're in fiber cement and they dominate that but they're now you know they're now they're taking share I guess is what I'm saying across that whole siding market and there's plenty of runway of growth uh and I don't know you know sure the the short term looks tough for U.S housing but I don't think U.S housing is going anywhere uh, it'll be around for a long time yet so um that's the that's the stock I'd
0: put away for five years goes back to your point about patience that's it Matt, thanks so much for coming on The Rules of Investing. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's episode. The Rules of Investing will be taking a short break over Christmas. We've got you covered with our companion podcast, success and more interesting stuff. The series drops on December 13 and will run through to January 24. Host Matthew Kidman sits down with seven of Australia's leading investors and business operators. Guests include Don May, founder of Domino's Pizza, Ozbill founder Paul Zeratis, and stockbroking veteran Brent Potts. Have a great Christmas and New Year, everyone. I'll see you in January.